What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Young Musician's Guide podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Campbell, and I am super stoked to be back. I'm feeling well-rested. I hope you are, too. I hope the time and the break since I last posted a podcast has been good for you if you're listening to these as they happen. I'm also extra stoked because we have a great episode today with euphonium player Karina Lamb. Um, She's up in Canada. We talk a little bit about uh, traveling internationally for study, and we talk also about being you know super competitive in music and if that's helpful or not and just a whole bunch of other things and how to exist as a freelancer essentially it's a great conversation and she was also nice enough to give us a little track of her playing um she's playing mobile or mobile whichever one you like uh by composer justin sullivan um accompanied by the wilfred uh lawyer university wind orchestra really cool track i highly suggest it that's going to be at the very end of the podcast But guys, as always, if you have anything out there in the Young Musicians Guide community, anything that's going on that you think is really cool and you want to shout out, please reach out to me on any of the social networks at AKCEUPH. And if I think it's really cool, I'll make sure to shout it out here on the podcast for everybody to check out. But something that's actually going on in my world and something that I'm doing that I want to promote to you guys is I'm actually currently raising funds for my debut solo CD. If you're listening to this in real time, if you head over to GoFundMe.com backslash A-K-C-E-U-P-H, you can check out all the ways that you can not only pre-order the CD, but also other extra incentives like handwritten notes, a personalized video, um, thank yous, all this kind of extra stuff and early access to everything. And all of these extra incentives are going away once the GoFundMe goes away. So if you want to get in on these things, head over there and donate. And even if you can't donate any of those amounts, donating just like five bucks would mean the world to me. Other things that mean the world to me is if you want to help this channel grow, um, share these episodes with people. Let them know that you've got something that is really helpful for you and you think it would be helpful for them. If you know any young musicians who are looking to figure out where they want to be in the world of music but not quite sure, this may be a place to help them out. You can also always help out by leaving comments on the YouTube page or leaving a rating on iTunes, um, letting us know how much you love it, what you want to see in the future, and anything else we can do. All that stuff helps us beat algorithms, gets us to the top of the page so more people can find, more people can chat, and this thing can keep getting bigger and better faster. And of course, the last thing you can do is head over to patreon.com backslash A-K-C-E-U-P-H and help donate, even if it's just a dollar, whatever you got. You put a dollar in per episode, Every time I post an episode, a dollar comes out of your bank account and comes into mine to help me with the overhead and the cost of making this happen. But yeah, that's all the promotion I've got today. Remember, if you've got something on the Young Musicians Guide community and you want it to be out here, let me know, throw it my way, and maybe I'll give it a shout out in the future. But let's get on with it. Here is my conversation with freelance euphonium player Karina Lamb. So how so you were teaching and you've recently switched gigs, right? <clears throat> so what's the what's the new thing you're up to? Um so it's uh remember how I said that I had like four jobs? Yes. So <clears throat> basically one of my four jobs, the nonprofit fundraising organization, they promoted me to manage an entire campaign mm-hmm. and that's a full-time gig, so I decided to take that. 
And what kind and, of work does that entail? Uh, basically, uh, managing logistics, running an entire um, fundraising team, like training people and developing people to fundraise. Um, it's uh, I'm fundraising for Plan International. Have you ever heard of it? I have not. It's basically a nonprofit organization that um, that works in the developing world. So wherever there's children who are like in need that are lacking in things like water resources, education, um, I'm actually like my job is to seek someone to sponsor that individual and their community so that they have those basic needs met. Oh, really neat! Really, really yeah. Neat. <clears throat> so How it's did like you get sponsoring. Um, <clears throat> I've always been like a huge like hippie like that. So even before, if I didn't go into music, I would have totally been living in like Nepal or something and just like, you know, working. I don't know. have no idea. But I did a lot of volunteer work uh, growing up and I've like visited some countries and yeah, like, you know, so I've seen what it's like to live in poverty firsthand. So coming back here, it's kind of nice that I'm doing like both music and then this, like I'm really the happiest person ever. <laughs> and it's really, really great because the music chain where I was teaching, like they weren't really paying me very well. And a lot of the times, like, let's just say, for example, if the, a holiday, like a holiday lands on a Monday or a Friday on those days that I do teach, I don't get paid. Right. Like mm. no paid paid holidays or whatnot. Another thing is in the summertime when kids are like out of the country on vacation or not as dedicated to like investing in music in the summertime, I still have to work the same hours. It's just that I have like all these empty slots with no students, so I don't actually get paid but I'm still putting the same time in as I would like throughout the entire year. So I was kind of getting like a little bit um, like I, I started reflecting on all my jobs and thinking, okay, I'm getting tired. Like I'm really getting exhausted now and I need to, I need to scale down a little bit. And uh, that teaching in that chain was like the one thing I felt like I wasn't being challenged enough in like every other job. I feel like I'm moving up. But this one here, it's like, eh, you know, like if I had my own private, if I had four of my own private students that I teach at home, I'd be making the equivalent of like my full salary, like my full income working at that school. Yeah, I see your eyes. Yeah, no, yeah. That's, so, <clears throat> well, a lot of so times too, work, like the the nice thing about working for a company like that is that either two things is you will get paid for your time there, not necessarily for students that you teach. So if you're yeah. there for four hours, but you only teach a student, you're still getting paid for the four hours. And no. it seems like that wasn't the way. And then the other thing is, too, is they do a lot of advertising for yeah, you so, so you don't have to. Yeah, so basically they had to. But you know what? Like, there was... I was I'm the only brass instructor there. And, like... There was a huge wait list. So they only hired one. It's just really weird, man. And it, like, I, I felt like I didn't have a lot of flexibility too. So for example, if I had a gig or, you know, I didn't want to work, like I work until nine on a Friday night, like outside of the city. And it takes me like close to 45 minutes to get home. So it's like, it's far. And, you know, I love my kids, but you know, I felt like I had to move forward. So really glad, like I got promoted doing this thing. So I, it's not like I'm not private teaching still, like I still am t uh, teaching privately. It's just that, you know, I'm going to be like going home and having dinner with my family now. <laughs> so <laughs> like, did they make you sign like a non-compete clause so you couldn't bring those students into your private studio when you left? 
Um, yeah, I was, yeah, I, I had to sign that clause, yeah. which is I don't even care because like they live so far away. So I told them, like I said, you have two options. I would highly recommend that you stay here because the next teacher who's coming like to take my place is going to be just as qualified. One, two, it's cheaper for you because I charge this much and and I live out in Scarborough. So they're like they are like oh okay fair enough <laughs> but i still like i still gave them my you know like information so i just told them if they ever need anything to reach out to me but i'm not technically allowed to be like hey yeah yeah you know what i mean it's not but fair they can, for make, the, for they the can make the decision themselves of course so that's always <clears throat> that's always fun because we get you get so nervous especially when you're a freelancer and you do have anything that is a regular paycheck or regular pay it gets really you get really intimidated to actually like switch from anything like to actually say let me drop this form of income or whatever yeah well you know what now i get paid holidays (laughs) and i get like uh health benefits and like i get to lead and i get to develop myself as a fundraiser learn more strategic things about fundraising and that's so going to be like long term contribute to what i am passionate about so like obviously it was a really difficult decision but i've been thinking a lot about it cuz i feel like i feel like a lot of the times when we have something kind of already going on we never feel comfortable enough to kind of step outside of that you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, I already have a job. I'm already earning income. If I quit, what am I going to do next, right? And everyone's always so worried that they don't have the security lined up. Um, and that's, you know, like, I mean, we've all been there, like, in one way or another, right? So Yeah. So yeah. When, when making a decision like that, so did you, are you afraid at all that a non-musical day job, especially, you know, now that you've got benefits and all that kind of stuff, do you, are you afraid that it might snowball into pulling you away from music or do you think it's just only going to benefit your musical career? Oh, here. Okay. I forgot to tell you one other thing. This, this promotion is like the best cause I get to choose my own hours. Ooh. Yeah. So basically, yeah, that's it. Like that's, I love this right now because I feel like it's giving me even more freedom than my previous situation. Even though I was entirely engaged teaching music and stuff like that, the fact that I get to choose my own hours, I get to work around all my gigs, all of my rehearsals, and it's okay, right? So that is a big win for me too. If I was working in a full-time setting somewhere else where I would be, like, where I didn't have that kind of freedom, I don't think I'd be as happy. Gotcha. So So just being able... so. You're working the full time gig around the artistic yeah. stuff because you're you're still are you still doing the military stuff? I am, I am. And then you've also <clears> got the quartet as well. Yep. I know. Are you guys playing a lot here now, or are you waiting? Are you taking a break, or how's that going? Uh, we're you know what? In the last week, we got three gigs signed. Like, so we're booked <laughs> for three gigs. Um, and yeah, I'm like also playing in this band called Hannaford, which is uh uh like a I guess a professional, semi-professional brass band is the only one that gets paid in Canada. Um, it's like one of the only ones that gets paid in North America. Yeah. So, but <laughs> like, it's, it's really, it's awkward. Like I, I kind of, I can't, yeah, it's really awkward. I didn't really get paid yet, but they owe me for like services and join the union and everything. And then another thing is like, what else is happening? So there's that and there's that, uh, 
You're coming down then, to Napa yeah, too, right? I'm going to Napa International Women's Brass Conference. Like James Gorley invited me and Michaela down to his house for a lesson. I don't even know how I'm going to fit that in, if that's yeah. even going to be possible. And then uh, I'm also like putting together a little like sh- small concert series so that like us tubas and euphonium pl- people like in Toronto can perform and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, I'm really busy. Good, but that's a good thing. It is. It is like, um, yeah. I just I feel like sometimes like having a second job. Like for me, I know there's a lot of people that are okay with doing music 100. percent of their time, like dedicate 100% of music in like their full-time schedule. But for me, I feel like I need, in order for me to stay creative, I need to kind of like be doing something else. And then I take the skills from like other like things that I do and pop it into my music stuff. If that makes any sense. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like I know. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people when they're looking at music careers and stuff, they get really, and I think it. I don't think there is a right answer to it, um, mm-hmm. because I don't think. And like you were saying, I'm one of those people that I dedicate 100 percent of my time to my musical activities. Like, even though we like right now, this conversation we're having is not a musical activity. Like, we don't have horns. We're not, you know, playing in that way. Like, I do still consider this a musical thing because I'm talking to musicians for musicians. Mm-hmm. But like, some people like to allocate other sets of times and do you feel like having something that's that's like structured that's because you're doing i mean you've got you know this conference and this event and then this thing and then that thing and then you know you're fl- you're moving around a lot do you feel like having the one solid thing even though you can change its times but what you're doing with this company is kind of you know set do you feel like that gives you some stability or you know helps you out in that way uh yes it definitely gives me sp- stability i feel like um i feel like it's a a reciprocated contribution where Ooh. I am working and I'm helping like uh, I'm c- definitely contributing to that uh, that charity, but also I'm gaining so much experience in the fundraising field. Right. And that was when walking into this job was exactly what I wanted. Like after having graduated from my master's degree, I was like, OK, cool, I'm set. I'm going to do development and music. So having said that, like. Uh, in terms of financial stability, yes, it is all there. Um, I'm so even like I'm just so grateful that um, like that I've been able to <clears throat> progress this far after having graduated for a year and have like no fundraising experience at all, right? Yeah, so I'm learning a lot from this. But another thing is, like, um, as a fundraiser, you learn so much about um, relationships and like what people value and how to start like build rapport and things like that. And that those um, skills are so um, applicable to the music world as well when you're networking and like you know um, marketing yourself and things like that. So yeah, I just uh, I think that it really complements like my. Uh, my other job really complements my music stuff or what I do in the music stuff. I I don't think I would be happy working at a coffee shop, for example, um, because, you know, I'd be kind of physically, I'd be so physically invested in things like making sure the coffee machine is like clean (laughs) and making sure like that, you know, I'm pouring the milk on top of the espresso accurately with like that leaf design. Um, (laughs) 
you know what I mean, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I've worked at a coffee shop for a really long time, and I just felt like it's like it, it wasn't. Um, it didn't really complement my music or help me advance in my music career. Whereas this, I feel like, is just you know kind of like a businessy. I, I take I kind of approach it like it's kind of like businessy, but at the same time, you know, I am I feel so fulfilled that I am contributing um, at a really large scale. Um, across the world if if I really think about it like every time I find a sponsor for a child I'm just like so I feel so um I feel really content that I'm making a contribution um to someone's life and their upbringing and their development right so anyways if I don't know if any of that just made sense no no it makes it makes complete sense it's really cool that you have I mean if you're not inspired as a human being there's no way you're going to be inspired as an artist um, yes, and especially when you are creating your own work as an artist, a lot of the times, like, and you're not inspired consistently, like, it's you're gonna you're gonna drown. It's <laughs> it's gonna be so much. So so you're doing so you've got this new this new thing, and then like you said, you were you're still working with the military group, and they. So let's kind of unpack that a little bit. How did you get? involved with that and they did they help you pay for your schooling and all that i mean i know you've got a master's degree but you've also got obviously you've got your undergrad how long have you been with them and you know what were some of the benefits of being with a military group and this is like a reserves type group right yes it is it's a reserve um it's a military reserve band so basically um when um when i was auditioning for university i never in a hundred years thought that i would ever be in the military um, I, I remembered uh, auditioning um, for my undergrad, and in my audition, someone had asked me if I ever considered um, a career as a military musician, and I literally said, seriously, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, like, what ended up happening was um, after my first, uh, after that first tuition fee went through, after I paid off that first tuition fee, I was like on government loans, student loans. Uh, I realized that, um, I guess it hit me that financially it was like going to school is really expensive. And I had no idea how my coffee shop job was going to pay all of that, including rent and things like that too, right? So um, I had a friend who applied for this thing called ceremonial guard and I was like, what's that? And he showed me a picture and literally in front of parliament Hill was a picture of a hundred musicians wearing military uniforms. I was like, Whoa, that's really, really cool. I have no idea what that is, but I should check it out. So, um, I started the recruiting process. I auditioned, I got in, which was amazing. But in order to play in a military band, you had to fulfill all the physical requirements. So I had to start doing push-ups and stuff, like to start going to the gym. <laughs> Did they make you do recruit training? Yeah, I had to do that. So basic military training um, first, and then the the musical aspect after. So having said that, like it was literally the best experience ever. The one summer full time gig, and it paid off like all of my tuition and, and rent and food. Like I didn't have to worry too much. Um, I actually stopped borrowing money from, um, like the government as well. So I was like fully self-sufficient. Um, did they pay back any of the loans you had taken out? What do you mean? Um, like, so some of the groups here, if you have taken out student loans, when you sign right. in for the military, they, they will pay for the loans that you've already taken out. No, they don't do that. Um, they have an education incentive. So if you are enrolled in a, in a, 
post-secondary education um, and it's relevant to your development in the military, they will uh, help subsidize or I guess they call it they call it an education scholarship. So mm-hmm. they pay for a small portion of your tuition fee. Gotcha. So, yeah, so that's what they do. They don't actually pay out loans or anything. Um, but, yeah, like after that summer gig, it was amazing because um, in my first year, I had the opportunity to, like, play with euphonium players from all over the country. I remembered, like, they were – I was the youngest one. So I learned <laughs> so much from everybody, and they were just so nice to me, and just I absolutely loved it. So um, being in the military as well, just like we are the public eye for Canada's like military. So whenever there's someone uh, really famous or a really important figure that lands in the country, we have to go there and perform for them and do ceremonial stuff. So I've had the opportunity to like play for the Queen, um, Stephen Harper, uh, <laughs> the uh, Emperor of Japan, um, <clears throat> the Canadian Ambassador to the United States, United States Ambassador to Canada, and um, we actually like last uh, June we had the opportunity to go to London and perform for um, the Queen's brother, the Queen's husband. It was really great. So. Basically, it's not entirely full time. It's just for the summer. Um, after, like the summer, that's um, in at the capital because of the national band. But throughout school, I enrolled in uh, a reserve band, a lot closer to where I went to school. So that's um, after I did the thing that ceremonial guard thing for three years, and uh, got a lot out of it. But it was kind of nice to to be at home during the summer. So I st- stood. Stayed at home, <laughs> and I just like continued playing with the, a military band. I've been playing in in the Royal Hamilton Light Infantry Band since two thousand and eight. That's a so, that's a wind band, right? It is a wind band. So on top of the military group, you've also got the quartet. So what's the name of the quartet, and where you guys kind of where you, where do you guys play at most of the time? Uh, the name of the quartet, it's a tuba euphonium quartet. We're called Yuba. So E-U-B-A. So E-U for euphonium. And tuba, B-A for tuba. And we just like mash the, the names together. Uh, we are um, the literally the only gigging tuba euphonium quartet in Toronto. And literally it all started with Michaela. She just wanted a, an opportunity to play so we signed up to perform at the Toronto Christmas market and she she got the gig and then uh, and then we kind of just like developed as a group um, the members have changed uh, a couple of times because uh, some of us have like you know other commitments and things like that so but yeah we uh, we performed also at the Oktoberfest that happens. Um, in the fall and we just generally gig around we've done things for the toronto arts foundation uh, park concerts in the summer and we've been able to um, also get uh, opportunities to perform outside of the greater toronto area for example in burlington so yeah just uh just kind of like things 
just random like one hour two hour gigs and we've got like programs we absolutely love playing with each other because all of us we all have master's degrees so we're all really high level thinking uh we contribute within the group uh in rehearsals and we don't take anything personally which is always the best <laughs> um and yeah just uh it's it's really cool so i love the logo yeah it's it's great yeah it's so and then cool. like Oh, say hello, get you stalking us. Yeah. Twitter. <laughs> Twitter. Yeah, you've got a Facebook as well, which those will be linked down below for everybody. Um, yeah, so, so we've... Uh, mm-hmm. So I want to kind of dive into something that you just said about about not taking things personally. It's so hard for us as musicians to like, like for me to go... For like you to tell me, Aaron, that you're playing that note sharp... You know, it's so hard for me to not hear literally you're just, you know, you're just telling me facts and I need to fix it versus Aaron, that note sharp. Oh, you're telling me I'm a horrible person. Okay, let me get defensive. Um, Right. So, you know, do you have any what you know, do you think that's kind of just a person thing? Do you because I music, unfortunately, and and any you know person listening to this who has been in any school system can tell you that we just stop and tell you negative things, whatever we're fixing. We're always working on just negativities. Your, your band director is never going to stop you and go, that sounded really good. Let's move on. Like that doesn't happen. It's always criticism of some sort, constructive or not. So how do you, how do you continue? How do you maintain not taking things personally? Like, do you have any tips or suggestions or do you think that's just kind of the people you guys are and why that works out? Um, well, we've all known each other for a a long time so having said that like um just our personalities we're all very unique people so when it comes to the rehearsal model if there's anything that ever um uh occurs and we we're all just really committed to making us like as a collective sound the best that we can right because at the end of the day what we want to do is um not only um kind of meet the fullest potential of our playing ability, but to also um, deliver what the composer wants out of the music. So that's like our main commitment there. A lot of the time, if anyone's like sharp or flat, we're so Canadian that we'll just be like, (laughs) hey, is that me? Am I a little too high? And then, (laughs) or am I a little too flat? So we kind of... you offer uh, a donut? We, uh, we, We don't... No, we don't eat donuts during rehearsal. We do that after. Uh, So, (laughs) no, uh, a lot of the time we, um, if something doesn't fit, we, we kind of all ask ourselves first, like, hey, is it me? Am I making that contribution here? Or is it, is it someone else? Right. So mm -hmm. what we'll do generally is we'll just say, hey, how can we make this better? Or we're not together. Um, is it me? <laughs> um, and then literally if it just, when we're really cross for time, we'll just be like, Oh, the third or well, like if we're doing chords and stuff like that, whatever the third or the fifth, whoever has a better sense of uh, intonation, will probably speak up or we'll literally just take the tuner out. I mean, I'll, just to see if we're in tune with each other first. And we kind of just like break it down like that. A lot of the time we don't, we don't, play the blame game or what do you call it like your sh- oh it's you um it's that's just really not conducive to any learning environment um regardless of how old you are or how like how um how much experience you have right it's all about reinforcing what's uh 
what is already working out for us. Like human beings, we work really well when we're being praised, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, if uh, we're playing a piece and we have like four, like four of us, we're all playing the solos at one point in time, but we really like this person's interpretation the best. So let's mirror that, right? Rather than, oh, maybe you need to like, you know, like it's just we don't really think that way. We try to approach it with as, as much of like positive, constructive criticism as possible. And we never take it personally simply because we don't have time to do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we we only get maybe one or two rehearsals before a gig. We're so busy. So it's all about, all right, how can we be as efficient as possible, help each other out so that we can make we can really sound good when we get out there. Yeah. And a lot of times, unless you're. Unless you're like the Dallas Brass or the Canadian Brass or a group like that, you're not mm-hmm. rehearsing regularly. Like it's very rare that a group. I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like I'm in a couple quartets, and it's literally we rehearse as needed for mm-hmm. gigs. It's like oh, we have an Easter gig coming up, so a couple weeks before, let's get together a couple times. So we're not meeting regularly. Yeah. Um, and that's the way a lot of chamber groups kind of work. So you, you, when you come together, you have to be on your game. You have to be efficient. You have to be, you know, quick and about everything as we to the point. Mm-hmm. But it, you get this impression, you know, that, I mean, chamber groups, especially in one like yours, like where everybody has a master's degree, everybody knows what they're doing. You know, it's it's not like a rock band where you need to be rehearsing every single week or something like that. It's 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 a little bit of a different vibe and um, how you function. Yeah. And so, I mean, so do you, so of all the things that you're doing, um, so you're literally, I mean, you're doing everything that uh, I think a tuba euphonium person can do. (laughs) You're, you're doing solo gigs. You're in a wind band. You're in a military wind band specifically. You're in a brass band. You're in a quartet. Yeah. You're, you're, you're pretty much doing Uh, that at all. I play a little trombone too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, (laughs) Oh uh, yeah. So, so what what do you so how so getting that, you know, was this I mean, you've been out of school how long? Uh I got my master's degree December 2015. So, I guess a year. Uh, I got home 2015 uh October. So, maybe a year and a half. Gotcha. And mm-hmm. your so with with all the things that you've got going on, I mean, how, how, I mean, we've kind of talked about, it. I mean, you, you, the military band thing just kind of started happening. Um, you know, you, you've gotten involved with that brass band, I think pretty recently, correct? This, this is a, one of the newer things on your totem pole. You haven't been always playing with them, right? Or no, is, I haven't. Have um, well, I started out in October and, uh, so I'm, I'm still like, I'm not officially in the band yet. So they've just kind of like kept hiring me for the, I'm, I think I've, by May, we have another concert coming up in May, and I would have uh, sat in the entire season. So I haven't like they've they're hiring me on a freelance basis. I'm not officially one of them yet. Gotcha. But it, it's kind of nice, you know. I get an opportunity to play with like other pros, and it's uh, it's a whole different level of making music. And and then you've got the mm-hmm. quartet. And where I'm going with this is like none of this stuff just like it's not like you got out of school and all of these offers just fell into your lap like these are things that happened progressively and that you worked on and you created some of them some of them came at you but i mean for for anybody for the people listening this is not 
you know, it's not like you graduate school and all of a sudden you get a, you get a gazillion emails and all of a sudden you have jobs. It doesn't work like this. Like you have to work towards these things and make them happen. And what advice would you have? Because because you're literally doing like the dream things that a lot of euphonium players would want to do. What advice would you give for someone looking to um, to get involved in all these sorts of things? Like just generic advice because each one is very different. Um, but right. what, could you, what could you tell someone who's like, I'm about to graduate college and I don't know what to do? Okay, so. Wow. I mean, if you asked me that question a year ago, I would have had a totally different answer. Um, upon finishing like my last month of my master's degree, I was kind of like wondering to myself, okay, um, number one, like how many people know what a euphonium is? And number two, what am I going to do with this degree here? And obviously like what like I spent so much time, like thousands of hours invested in this instrument. I really wanted to, to make something of it. Right. So having said that, um, there's a lot of times where I had so many conversations with other euphonium professionals and we, uh, we all don't just depend on performing. Um, we do side things like, uh, teaching privately and playing in other bands and things like that and performing col collaboratively with other people. And so basically as a freelancer, I think it is safe to assume that you will have to be prepared to do so many things at once and not just depend on one source. Uh, may it be like just teaching or like performing or whatnot um, to, to get by. Another thing is like, as soon as I got home, I felt like I was like off the radar for two years, like away from the city. No one knew who I was. So the biggest thing for me was I had uh, I spent spent a lot of time networking, yeah, catching up with my old friends, having coffees, sending out emails to directors and like people from all over town who do like things actively in the music scene and just say, hey, my name is Karina. I just came back from England. I just did a master's in euphonium. Please, if you ever need a euphonium player, uh, please let me know. And I've just I did a lot at first. I did a lot of free work where I was just performing, subbing wherever there was a need for a euphonium player. I would just sit in. Um, it gave everyone an opportunity to hear me and what I sounded like. I really just let the playing do the work. And uh, as once. I started doing free work. People would call me up and say, hey, we need a euphonium player to do this. And then I'll be like, okay, cool, that's awesome. And like Michaela and I, we've known each other for a really long time. So uh, we had, uh, so we, they needed a euphonium player for Yuba. So as soon as, even before I came back from, from the UK to Toronto, she had already asked me like, to if I would be interested in joining her group. So having said that, like, that was a, a really great opportunity for me. And I, I just said yes right away, like no questions asked. And uh, as we continue to work together, doing gigs here and there, um, <clears throat> uh, we started endorsing each other in other scenes and saying, like, if there was another band, for example, or there was another, like, if there were students that we didn't have time to teach, we would just recommend each other. And it was just great, you know, like, we have that kind of support network going on. And we, uh, there were a lot of times where we 
even though we had a group established, we still wanted to, to do more. So we would sit down and kind of think, okay, what are some other things that we can do? We just really brainstormed together. I think the biggest uh, piece for me um, and my success was just that I worked really hard and I did a lot of free work at first. I think doing free work in the beginning um, is a huge investment. It's like you're planting a seed so people can have an opportunity to hear you out. Definitely um, network. Networking is a really big one. And then just really thinking outside of the box. I think that's the most important thing. And not limiting your your op- limiting your capabilities to, oh, you know, like, how can I do this? Whereas, like, a lot of people just... Um, you ha- I think in a way you kind of have to be outrageously, like you got to really aim high. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, it's like if you really, really aim like super, super high uh, and your results are kind of like halfway to the point where you had expected, at least you've accomplished something and that's something to celebrate too, right? So. It is. And so one thing I kind of wanted to unpack in there, so you talked about a lot about working and helping and promoting other musicians when you were going through things, but how am I supposed to get better? How am I supposed to get more business as a musician? If I'm, if I'm plugging other musicians, shouldn't I be like rubbing other musicians in the dirt and saying I'm much better than them? Isn't that how that's supposed to go? A lot. I'm being facetious <laughs> by the way. Very, very, you're simple. terrible. <laughs> okay. Well, um, Honestly, in the music world, especially when uh, classical music, contemporary instrumental music is kind of running dry, you, it, collaboration is literally the best way to do, to do things. Um, it, a lot of the time, we shy away from opportunities, from competition. I am generally not at all competitive at all, even though like this weekend I'm going to NABBA and competing <laughs> in a 10-piece brass choir. I'm like not even walk. I'm not approaching this opportunity as a competitive thing. I'm not going down to win. I'm literally going down to to share with people what I have to offer musically, and that is always like my where my headspace is at. I never. I don't like competition. I think it really ruins um, people's passion um, to pursue music, and it's in in a way. I feel like it's really toxic as well because. Uh, there is like fr- friendly competitions, great and all, but um, I mean, I'm definitely not out here to make other people look bad in any way. So I always like to support everyone else who's doing the same thing that I'm doing. Right? We're all kind of in this together, and I always think of it like that. So why not collaborate? A lot of um, professionals that have uh, that a lot of professionals that I look up to have one way or another collaborated. I mean, even when you are playing um, a concerto with a piano player, you are collaborating musically with that musician as well. So that is my thing. Super do not, no competition. (laughs) Cool. So, yeah, so it's, it's crazy how people get competitive and they think that they, if they have to single out all other musicians and they are the, they have to be the only one in order for them to get other business. But like, if you're an asset to other musicians, they'll think of you either when like they can't do anything or when they need another player or like, if you're, you don't, it's not just because you're a good player, but if you're a resource for other musicians, things tend, good things happen to you. 
So don't, I agree. So yep. don't like strong bow anybody out of there, you know. So one of the last things I wanted to talk to you about, um, among all the many, many things that I want to talk to you about, but we, we have a time limit here, is where, so you went and you did your master's degree abroad. You live in Toronto, or no, you live in Canada, sorry, American, we think that all of Canada is just Toronto, because that's the only one that has a baseball team. Um, <laughs> and, but you, you actually did your master's over in Manchester in the UK, so what was what was that like? What was your decision to go and do that? Would you suggest other people studying abroad, um, you know, just for for people who are younger and thinking about doing those sorts of things? Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So can I give you a little background on my undergrad? Done. Do it. Cool. So basically, um, when I uh, when I went into music, I studied at Wilfrid Laurier University, and this is like west of Toronto. Um, I invested all of my time and energy to uh, develop into being the best music, high school music teacher that I could be. So I did a lot of volunteer work and um, my entire degree was just geared towards music education. So I graduated with my undergrad in music education. Um, While I was doing my undergrad, I was still obviously involved in like community bands and I was like playing in the reserve army band. but uh, what ended up happening was I went into teacher's college. So in Ontario, I don't know if this is true in the States, but uh, in Ontario, as well as other provinces and territories in Canada, after you graduate from your bachelor's degree, you need to get a bachelor of education qualification. So it's like te- we call it teacher's college. So I went through a teacher's college. I did an internship. Uh, I was pract- practica practice teaching and I, I had a really great time, really good feedback from not only my supervisors, but also my students. Um, I realized that that was not the career goal that I wanted to take. So all this time when I, I decided I wanted to go into music, I thought, okay, well, the only job opportunity I have for me is really to teach music. Um, I was super like hot water up until I did my teacher's college. And when I was actually in the classroom doing the teaching, I became more and more lukewarm about whether or not I wanted to move forward. So I, uh, I was really unhappy because I didn't have a lot of, because of all the, the, the classroom prep lesson planning and everything that I had to do outside of classes, I realized that I did not have um, a lot of opportunity to indulge in my own personal practice and personal involvement in um, community bands and making music on my own. So having said that, I just thought to myself, you know, maybe, uh, maybe I should take, maybe I should take a year off. And this is something I've never done. So I just decided, okay, I'm going to take a year off and see what it is that I really want to do. And in this time, I'm going to apply for a master's degree in performance to see how far I could go. So another reason why I wanted to go into music education was because I never thought that I had the capacity to play at a serious high level. I just didn't think that I was good enough. Um, And then just something like, something just triggered me after my bachelor of education. And I was like, okay, well, if I don't try this out, I'll never know how far I'll go. So what I ended up doing was I just, um, I started again, sending emails, say, Hey, I'm interested in doing a master's, but I don't have a bachelor in performance. So, um, I need, like, I started taking lessons. So on a weekly basis, I would take lessons with Robert Miller, who's, uh, who's a professor at university of Toronto. And then every other week, I would travel down to Windsor, near the Detroit border, and study 
with uh, Dr. Robert Benton. And he, like, the two of them, just, like, having lessons with the two of them, they really helped me, uh, what I feel like, catch up and be, like, master's level prepared. Um, I Then I was just really encouraged to start taking lessons with other um perspective professors at perspective universities that I wanted to attend. So took lessons with Aaron Tyndall, David Zirkel, and uh, Stephen Mead. So the really interesting thing about applying for, uh, to applying to the Royal Northern College of Music was that was like my absolute dream school since I was 16. I never thought that I would ever be even close to meeting Stephen Mead, having a conversation with him, or even having the opportunity to play for him, right? Like super self-conscious, no confidence at all. But um, I, I just told myself like, hey, this is it. Like if I don't apply, then I'll never know. If I get a no, then at least I know. Um, so I went through the whole application process play for him and he I guess he saw potential in me because I ended up going there <laughs> um it was amazing like I just I hadn't this was completely like I was so over the moon when I found out and I did whatever it took to to make ends meet financially so that I could go so um what I would kind of suggest to to young people or people who are wanting to d pursue a degree uh, overseas is to Everyone's got a different reason for doing things, and if you uh, if you are really like if you put all your eggs in one basket, you want to go into performance, um, then definitely go for it because it's a huge investment. It's a huge. It's a lot of time away from your your home, your family, your friends. Uh, you're gonna be spending a lot of money, and you're gonna be in a lot of debt, uh, eating food that you're not normally used to. Like I missed a lot of things, like craft dinner. Like you guys call it. <laughs> Craft macaroni and cheese? Yes. Yeah, so anyways, like, uh, uh, over here we call it craft dinner. They didn't have any of that in England. I was so, like, <laughs> maple syrup, Tim Hortons. Maple like, syrup. <laughs> like, I missed all of it. But, Molson's. you know what, like, for, yeah. <laughs> well, for me, like, the reason why I wanted to go uh, was just because, for me, it was a dream come true, like, to study with Stephen Mead. But also, I've never been to England or Europe for that matter. And it was, I, I just wanted to see how far I could go. And that was the mindset that I had going into my master's degree. So does that, is that? So it seems like if you, if you are willing to take on, like there, there's going to be a culture shock, there's definitely going to be a money shock, but if it's something you want and it's something that's going to help you do it. That's kind of what I just got out of your story, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Well, like, <laughs> You definitely need to know why you're doing it, right? Yeah. Um, so everyone's got a different like reason. For example, like if so, if you're like if you don't know whether or not you're going to go teach and perform, maybe take some time off and really think about it, rather than like putting yourself in that into the school and then realizing while you're in that school that you made the wrong decision, which is what I did with my teacher's college, right? Like I, I thought this was what, well, actually, you know what? I had no idea until I got, I got into it. Like, cause I thought I was so set in, I was going to be like, you know, the next best music teacher ever. And then, <laughs> and then I, I did the practica and I was like, wow, uh, this is not for me. So and it's it's so intimidating too, and I don't know how how things are set up, you know, in in Canada, but here 
in the States, it's essentially like when you're 18, you better decide what you want to do for the rest of your life right now. Like, yeah, you can you can't even drink a beer, but we're going to tell you you need to figure it out. Like you, you just you just reached an age where we allowed you to drive two years ago and you're just now able to vote. And now you also have to figure out what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And but you can take some time. I mean, we live longer now than we ever have as a human race. You can take the time to kind of figure out like what you were saying. It's like if you're kind of in between this or that, really sit back and think, which one do I want to do? What 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 opportunities do I have that are going to make me happy? Um, And it seems like by doing that, you kind of I mean, you had the you had the moment of, oh, this isn't what I want to be doing. And then you took your time and now you're doing a whole bunch of, I mean, you started this podcast by talking about how happy you are with the progressions of everything and how excited you are. So, I mean, it seems like taking that little bit of a time to figure everything out was really helpful. Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, it's like, for me, I still absolutely love to teach. There's nothing more rewarding than developing young musicians um, and having them under your wing, because as soon as like, I'm sure you can attest to this, Aaron, like when you, when you're teaching a concept to, to a young musician, in a way you're kind of holding yourself accountable to making sure that you're doing those things too. Right. Um, and you're just like fulfilling and actually committing to the word that you're saying to your students. I absolutely love to teach. Um, but for me, my, my jam really was to teach on a one-on-one. There was a lot of times when I was in a classroom setting and I would give so much and like I would go above and beyond for for someone who wasn't at all interested. Like they just wanted that extra music credit so they can get their high school diploma. And it just broke my heart. Like I couldn't change their mind and think like couldn't control it. Uh, It's something that I couldn't control. And I was just so upset over that. So for me, like I absolutely love teaching. Um. And it's just even more rewarding when I have these one-on-one students because, you know, they're doing it because they really want to, right? And if they have the passion for it, it's just like, it's such a beautiful thing when when you see them develop and improve over the time that you are with them. So not that, I'm not saying that my, my education degree was like a complete waste and, you know, down the drain or what money down the drain. Um, I had lo- learned a lot from that. And it is definitely, um, I definitely, I'm indebted to that degree and that my time um, learning in that program um, to how I like interact with my students today. Well, that's, that's awesome. Hey, well, we're just about at time. Um, Do you have any other advice you want to give to younger musicians or any resources or anything else you want to say while you're here um, that, you know, anything that was inspirational for you or that meant a lot for you or just any more advice that you happen to have for younger musicians? Definitely go to as many concerts as possible at live performances. Um, It doesn't necessarily like if you're a brass player, you don't only have to limit yourself to going to brass band concerts or brass quintet things. Um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with going to a musical or an opera. Like I absolutely love operas. I think that I get a lot of inspiration from listening to, uh, bel cantos, like really famous world renowned, uh, vocalists. And so I, I just, uh, 
listening to orchestral music as well. Um, you just develop such an ear for I- interpretation and how you want to sound. And when you're exposing yourself to all these different performances, um, you become a much stronger musician in the sense that, you know, um, like your level of musicianship when you're playing in a group just is just a totally next level. And you can't get that from reading reading books. You can't get that from your one-on-one lessons and just like playing with your your studio it's all about like sitting in on other performances and taking out like what you think you can what are some really great qualities of those performances um yeah just like add to your bag of tricks awesome hey well thank you so much for coming on again um i really appreciate it and you being able to work with me and schedule with me and hang out for another time and um and i i gosh I'm so sorry about the technical difficulties the first time. I can't believe she, for the audience, she was one of the first people to come on and I got monster mic at one point. Like this thing just went nuts. It was, she was, it was very, I think she was the first Skype interview. Um, and she was really nice and said, yeah, I'll come on again. It was really helpful and awesome. So thank you, Karina, for coming and hanging out again. I really appreciate it. Oh, Aaron, you're awesome. Oh, I, I oh, don't flatter me. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, hey, um, until next time, this has been the Young Musician's Guide podcast with Aaron Campbell. This time we're hanging out with Karina Lamb. Karina, where can we find you? Oh, uh, you can find me on Facebook and I have yet to create Twitter. <laughs> I have a website. It's called uh, Um And you can always check out my two Yuba Yuba group where the Yuba quartet.com as well. So yeah. And if you want to find them, everything, all their social media handles are Yuba quartet. Just make sure you search for that as well, because you get some weird stuff. If you don't put the quartet part, Hey, Karina, thank you again. And until next time, guys, remember be happy, but never satisfied. <laughs>